Welcome to Episode 16 of Murder We Write. I'm your host, Carol Goodman Kaufman. On this podcast, I get to talk with crime writers whose short stories and novels run the gamut from cozies to domestic thrillers. We'll learn from them about their craft, their process, and the business of writing. My guest today is Trish Esden. Now, under the name Pat Esden, she writes the Northern Circle Coven Fantasy Series and the Dark Heart Romance Series. But remember, this podcast is all about crime writing. And under the name Trish Esden, she writes the Scandal Mountain Antiques Mystery Series, which explores, as she writes, the secretive and adrenaline-charged underbelly of Vermont's antique and art world. Trish, welcome to Murder We Write. Let's jump right into my first question. Now, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that there is a dark side to antiques. There's a dark side to everything, isn't there? But have your personal experiences in the business inspired you to write mysteries? Well, I've been an antique dealer uh, since I was a teenager. And yes, uh, my personal experiences have uh, inspired my stories. Um, And not just my personal experiences, but things I've read about um, and people I've known. Uh, It's an interesting world, and you find out just how devious some people can be and how wonderful and kind and what a great community it is at the same time. Um, Just much like the writing community, people are supportive of each other in the antiques trades. But yes, there are some sneaky things that go on. And they're definitely things that inspire mystery stories. Can you give us a couple of examples, Trish? Well, when my husband and I had a store, which we had for 20 years um, in an 1830s country store where we sold antiques and I ran a florist business, um, there was a guy who started coming in at one point and he was rather strange looking. He'd wear grubby clothes, but he'd had very expensive Uh, men's shoes and he had this younger woman with him who he claimed was his girlfriend Um, but she didn't quite act that way and she kind of had the look of someone who had a fondness for drugs and he also drove a car which was way above his means so the whole thing kind of just made us suspicious you know And so we didn't buy anything from him, and he quit coming to see us. A few months later, in the newspaper, there was a big article about a guy who had sold a very valuable gold coin collection to a uh, local coin dealer that had turned out to be stolen. Um, And there was a big raid. And what had been going on all along was a man had died, actually had died and been in his house for a while before they found the body, And he'd had a lot of low-life friends that hung around. And after he died and before his body was discovered and the estate was settled, or and even after his body was found, these people were going in and taking the stuff out of his old house and selling it and using his car and all kinds of stuff. So that was a matter of instinct kind of... uh, keeping us out of trouble because he everything he had wasn't high end some of it was just junky stuff it just was a matter we didn't trust him um there also was a person quite a long time ago um a very much an expert in folk art a very uh upper end dealer and he a person had died and 
left a big estate of decoys. Um, this isn't exactly the source of my story of uh, the art of the decoy, uh, but it did inspire it to a small degree. And at any rate, this dealer went in and he bought all these just wonderful decoys for a very low amount of money. And he held on to them for a little while, but finally he put the best of them in an upper-end auction and they sold for record-breaking prices. And somehow it got back to the person who sold him the decoys uh, and he ended up doing some time for that. Uh, because it's one thing if you are unaware of the value of something and you buy it for a low price. Uh, it's totally different if you're an expert uh, and you don't offer a fair amount of money. So this brings me to the question, how do you fit all this writing into your day job? You run a florist shop, you run an antiques business. Do you write in the middle of the night? We sold our um, antique shop about eight years ago, uh, which eliminated the florist part. I was doing upward to 30 weddings a year. So um, selling the shop gave us a lot of freedom. Uh, now we do the antiques full time, but most of our buying is Friday through Sunday and, you know, sometimes on the weekdays. And I write basically Monday through Thursday. I'm most creative in the morning, so I generally write from, like, say, 7 in the morning till 1 o'clock. Uh, if I'm on a deadline or I've gotten notes from my editor, fortunately, I can just put the antique aspect aside and, and focus on my writing all day long for as many days as it takes. That's especially easy because my husband does the antique business with me, too, and he'll just take over doing some of my jobs. In the afternoons, I do things that require less brain work. Uh, it might be doing marketing things uh, because that takes a lot of time for writing marketing, uh, making up teasers and things like that. Um, or I'll be doing something to do with the antiques, like pricing things to go to the consignment shop where we sell things, uh, getting re things ready to go to an auction or to sell on eBay or online. Um, and we sell in person to some people. Uh, so the two professions actually work quite well together. So you write in three different genres, Trish. Which is your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Or is that like asking, do you have a favorite child? My first two series that I published under Pat Esden are contemporary fantasy. Um, the, my short fiction it would be probably be classified as edgy, bordering on horror. Uh, my Trish Esden mysteries straddle the line between traditional and cozy. What I'd say is probably my favorite child is the thread that they all have in common, or, or threads. Um, they all, I tend to write stories that all have a happy ending, even the horror, and they have a slight gothic tone, and often... Uh, at least some romance, um, except for sometimes the short fiction, the romance is lacking. Um, I think this love of gothic tone comes from books that I particularly have enjoyed uh, and continue to enjoy. I, I was always a fan of um, uh, gothic when I, when I was a teenager, and then I went on and read books like The Thirteenth Tale by Diane Sutherfield. Uh, I love Tanya French. 
uh, and even Louise Penny, and all of them, I would say, have a hint of a gothic tone to them at, le at a minimum. Um, so I'd say my favorite is the tone that I like, um, and that's in all my novels and writing, rather than a particular genre. Okay, let's talk a little bit now about how you go about writing a story, Trish. Do you read the newspapers and take ideas from there? Do the ideas come to you in dreams? And then when you sit down to write, do you outline? Do you know where the story's going right from the get-go? Scandal Mountain Antiques Mystery Series um, is not a murder mystery series. Uh, each book is centered on a crime involving a piece of specific piece of antique or art. And therefore, when I'm brainstorming it, I like to think about what I'm going to, what antique I'm going to center it on. And also the, with the main character, E. Brown, what sort of situation have I not used before that would challenge her emotionally as well as physically? Um, and then once I start getting some ideas, sometimes I go to museums, that's always a good place for me to brainstorm. Uh, once, once I have some general ideas, I write blurbs and actually I write blurbs the way you might think of a, a voiceover for a movie trailer, you know, that big loud voice. And I write blurbs, and when I get one I'm fond of, that's what I use to start plotting my story. And I all, next I write a through line for my novel, uh, which will tell basically something about the main character and the challenge she faces and the action plot um, namely the antique or piece of art that's going to be centered on it and the crime. Uh, once I've done that, um, I'm not a fast drafter. So I write the first chapters and I write them fairly slowly. I feel for me, they're a foundation. It's where I find the new characters and the plot starts to really develop in my head. So I do revise my first chapters, probably about the first 50 pages. I move very slowly and I get it all together. Uh, once I'm past those pages, I might stop and do scene index cards, um, and I make a physical board, um, and I do a uh, turning point outline uh, on the board with the scene cards. I like to be able to see what's going on and move things around. I like to be able to look away from the computer screen to do this. And uh, then I'll start to fast draft, and I do, I'll put in things uh, like you know, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen here, and things like that that I'll go back during revision and fix, because I really love revision. Um, that's truly where the magic happens. So you're really a visual writer using a storyboard with index cards, um, which brings me to the question about envisioning your characters. Do you model them on people you know, people you see in the coffee shop, people on the news? I am a, a very visual writer, but I, I don't uh, develop my characters from people I know. I develop in those first chapters of, of the books and throughout writing and even more so in revision um, to the point that I can see them and hear them when I write them and in future books. Um, I'm, I do keep a character Bible to, keep my, to make sure I don't make mistakes, but I, I usually have a pretty good idea from book to book about the people. Um, notice I'm calling them people instead of characters. That said, 
there are a lot of settings in my books and, and situations that are from real life, um, particularly some of the grubby places and spooky places we've gone on uh, when we go hunting for antiques into basements and attics and old rickety barns and things like that. Um, also, there are a number of characters that may have are homages to people I've known. Um, Bucky Sanders, who's mentioned in passing in this book and plays a much larger role in book three, uh, which, hasn't, which hasn't come out yet, um, is modeled after an older man I knew. In, in, in book one, it's not spoiling it to say anything, it talks about him wearing a women's, woman's snowmobile suit. Uh, I actually had a, a good friend who used to do woodworking repairs for us. He was an elderly gentleman, and he found a woman's snowmobile suit in a dumpster behind the school, uh, and he wore it all the time and duct taped it when it got holes, and I think it became a matter of pride when people tried to get him to wear something else. Uh, Bucky also is made up of an antique dealer that I knew who was an older generation antique dealer who looked like he just crawled out from underneath a rock and wear overalls and stand in the back of the auctions and drink, drink like a fish. He, he, and the thing about him was he was probably the smartest and sharpest person there. And he was dealing with upper end people at the major auction houses in New York city and you just wouldn't know it from looking at him. And so I've used pieces of things like that uh, to develop my characters. Um, Edie herself uh, is not so much me. Um, some people might think that. Uh, she has much more adventures and is much more uh, educated and sharper. And perhaps she has a lot of characteristics I'd like, other than the fact that she does tend to be uh, jealous and probably uh, sneakier than I am. So to get back to the, the story writing itself, I want to continue on the theme of ideas and outlines. Um, they say, whoever they are, that the middle of a story is the hardest part to write. Is that true for you as well? The middle of the novel should be the most fun part to write. Uh, it's where you know, everything's really kicked off and the mystery clues are sneaking in and the red herrings and the actions happening um, and the character development. Um, when I feel like it's stagnated or something's going wrong, that's when I go back and revisit my blurb and more importantly, um, the pre-writing through line I created. Because there's a good chance if I feel like I'm having a problem or or just am stuck. Uh, it's because I've swerved away from the original plot and maybe made a, a subplot more important than it should be. Um, for me, it's important sometimes to maybe go back and reread at this point the beginning of the novel um, and to really do some contemplating on what my intentions are. Okay, speaking of red herrings, is there one that you've used in your Antiques Mystery Series that you're particularly proud of, that you think was really inspired, and how did you come up with it? Oh my goodness, I can't answer that. 
If I told you what one of the red herrings is in either Art of the Decoy or Wealth of Deception, I'd be spoiling the story. Um, I will say this much. I always believe you need to play fair with the reader. I also um, tend to use point of view. Uh, my Both books, uh, the whole series, is first person. So you're seeing the story through the eyes of the main character, Edie Brown. Um, and Edie has her own prejudices, and they can, they can make her misunderstand things. So maybe many of the herrings are more her misunderstanding or misseeing something. Um, there are a pair of shoes in A Wealth of Deception, and the shoes aren't exactly a red herring, but uh, they are something put there to make the reader and to make Edie wonder about what they mean. Oh my goodness, I, I can't say anything more without giving something away. Well, listeners, you'll just have to read the Scandal Mountain Antiques Mystery Books and see if you can pick up the red herrings. Trish, thanks so much for joining me today. I am so impressed by your organized visual method of writing. Really inspirational. And I'm shocked, just shocked, by the nefarious doings in the world of antiques. Thank you so much for having me on Murder We Write. It was wonderful to talk with you, and hopefully our paths will cross in person um, maybe later this year at Crime Bank. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Please join me next time for Episode 17 of Murder We Write. Who will our guest be? That's the mystery. Short Cast Club.